Hi, good morning. We're reading from Joel chapter 2 today. Um, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord had said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Amen. Um, Two things to get on your radar just as we begin. Immediately following the service, um, you have the moment to say goodbye to the Metzlers. And then last week, we kind of talked about what's happening in 2020. What's the big 2020 plan? And then after the announcement during service, we met in the Glass Chapel for anybody who had questions or wanted to explore further or wanted to be a part of the discovery process. We're going to do that again this week. We know that a lot of people were traveling last week. You might have missed it. So if you want to talk about what's happening in 2020, maybe you read the plan online or you listened to the Missio Voice, but you weren't here, uh, I'll be in the Glass Chapel. I think some others will be in the Glass Chapel. Uh, We'd love to talk about that more, answer whatever questions. And connected to that, you might have seen online a job description go up for a ministry director. Uh, And I think that that's been a little confusing in light of like, We said we weren't going to hire a pastor, and then the job description went up like two seconds later, and everybody's like, what is that? Um, So (laughs) you guys were not that accusatory. I shouldn't project that onto you. Um, But we sent this ministry director position up because um, Shelly, who's been our administrative director for the last year and a half, is stepping down because she has a really cool opportunity to work for her daughter. And so she wants to take that job and transition out of doing administrative director work for Missio. And so we kind of tweaked that job, changed some things, and are hiring a replacement slash a bit of a different role in that spot. So that's why that job's up. If you know anybody who'd be interested in that job or you yourself are interested, you can find it at our website, just missioslc.com slash jobs, where you can talk to Heather or I. Um, I think it went out in the update. So yeah, lots of places to get connected. If you have questions about that, happy to talk about it. Uh, and in light of Shelly stepping down and transitioning, like if you know Shelly, just tell her you love her and you're thankful for her. She got hired before she knew that Kyle was going to leave Missio for a job that like two minutes later stopped existing and transitioned beautifully, has been an amazing uh, like just role player in the transition and the changes that have been happening at Missio. Uh, and we, I just, we wouldn't be in the spot that we're in right now if it wasn't for Shelly. So, you know, if you see an email come across from her, send her an email that says you love her and you're thankful for her. Um, she will not expect that and will be delighted by that. So tell her you, you love her because she's amazing. And uh, yeah, yeah, all right. Let's pray one more time and then we'll do some Joel stuff. <laughs> Jesus, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're present. Thank you that today we get to open your story, extend your word, And know what it means to be your people. Help us to listen deep. 
to put aside whatever theological biases we bring into this moment, to put aside baggage and assumptions, not because doubts and questions aren't relevant here, they are, but so that we could actually get at what is deepest and truest and most uh, desperately need of your word. God, help us listen deep here, and at the end of today, might we be able to declare the praises of you who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. God, be with us, shape us, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Missy, I want to start with a sentence that is going to be the entire uh, conversation that we're having today. And I want to start with this because I, it's the most important thing I'm going to say today. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want it to get lost. I don't want it to be forgotten. Often, if you listen to me preach, I like to like, creatively craft my main point, try to lead in with funny stories or insightful questions. And I was like, no, none of that today. Just, the, just what are we talking about? And so here's here it is, Missio. If you're going to remember anything from today, this is the thing. You have the authority, the power, and the vocation to extend God's renewal into all places. You have the authority, the power, and the vocation to extend God's renewal into all places. If you hear only one thing today, if you hear only one idea today, would it be that, that you have the authority and the power and the calling, the vocation, the responsibility to extend the thing that God is doing in you and in church into all places? Right now we're in a series in the book of Joel, and Joel is a, a minor prophet with a big message. Minor prophet just means you have a small book. And Throughout this book, we've been talking about, like, what is the role of a prophet? And we've seen that the role of a prophet is to remind the people who God is and what it looks like to be his people. And so in the first couple of chapters, the way that Joel has done that is he sounded an alarm. He blew a warning trumpet. And he's like, hey, Israel, would you listen to what's happening around you so that you could see the very real trauma of sin and evil? He's like, would you see it? Could you bear witness to it? Can you understand what's actually happening around you? So he shows up, blows this trumpet, reveals the actual destruction of sin, and then he points people to God. He says, here's the trauma, here's the destruction, here's the thing that happens when we sin. Would you turn? And would you experience renewal? Last week, Heather uh, mirrored the passage in Joel to the story of the prodigal son. And it is like such a snapshot of one another. Israel leaves God. They go experience the very real ramifications of the decisions that they are making. Joel warns them about it, reveals to them what's happening, and they wake up. And as they return back to God, the question that's on their lips and on their heart is, well, how will God respond to us? What will he do when he returns? And Joel then walks them through, oh, he will receive you. And not just receive you, not just like call you home, not just give you a guest bedroom, but he will renew you. And there's all these imagery of like rain and abundance flourishing. He will totally renew you. So that's the first kind of like major section of Joel, that if you respond to God, if you hear the warning, if you come to him, then he will experience his renewal. 
But now Joel wants us to look into a new question, which is, okay, that's who God is? Who are we supposed to be? What does it mean to be the people of God? That's the role of a prophet, to say, here's who your God is, and in light of who your God is, here's what it looks like to be in relationship with him, to be a participant in him, to know him. And for Joel, fundamentally, the thing is, you're not just here to experience renewal, but you're here to participate in renewal. Not just to be rescued, but to join the rescue mission that God has undertaken. Now, this is true throughout the biblical story. It's always the movement that happens between God and his people that he rescues them, he calls them into relationship with himself, he renews them, and then he sends them to be a people of renewal. You see it in Abram's story when he becomes Abraham. You see it with the people of Israel when they're rescued from Egypt. You see it with the people of Israel when they're called out of exile. In each of those moments, God calls them, gives them a purpose to be a part of renewal. It's a pattern of the story in God's people. But what happens in Joel takes that same pattern and adds a new level or new dimension of, of significance to it because of this phrase. And afterward, after the people have begun to experience renewal, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all peoples. What does it mean that God is going to pour out his spirit on all peoples? This is a big statement from Joel. But there is some kind of biblical precedent, just like there's some biblical precedent for people being called into renewal. There's some biblical precedent for being a people who have the spirit of God poured out on them. There's three big ideas. And the first is that when you hear the phrase pour out spirit, it's connected to authority. Connected to authority. The most common experience of the Spirit of God coming onto someone in the Old Testament is to come on people of authority who are going to lead the people of Israel into something. So think about King Saul or King David, if you know your biblical history. They're both anointed by God, they're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes on them to participate in this special task to lead God's people. They have authority. Maybe you could say they have official access. They have the authority to join God in the mission that he is doing. Jesus will actually say the same thing in the New Testament when he talks about this. In Matthew 28, Jesus will say, comes to his disciples, and he's about to send them into the world, and he says, therefore, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's like this gift of authority that is like being given to someone so that they have authority in the task that they're doing. It's like you've been given a letter or a seal or a sign of approval to say that you're on official business. I like to think about it in this moment because Jesus says, I have authority over all things. It's sort of like you're no longer a guest in a house. Now you have keys to a house. You have access to the home. You can get into it whenever you want to. You can open the door whenever you want to. You have access, authority, official granted access to the home. So when the Spirit is poured out, it means that people have authority. The second thing it means throughout Scripture is that people are called into a vocation. 
They're called into some kind of vocation. The most common image in Scripture for the Spirit coming on people is like a, is a moment of people being anointed with oil. So literally like a priest or a king or a prophet would have their heads anointed with olive oil. And this is like still a thing that we do today. In fact, I wanted to show you an image of, um, this, is, this is me. <laughs> I'm really putting the creeper in creeper mustache there. This is me getting ordained for ministry uh, in 2009. This is my mentor here. This is a dude named Pastor Bob over here on my right carrying the Moses staff. And you'll see in his hand, he has a jar of olive oil, which he proceeded to pour the entire thing on my face, which is why I'm glowing in this image like Kim Kardashian. (laughs) And the point of that moment, the point of having oil just drounced all over my head, is drounced a word? Poured all over my head is to say that I was being called into a special vocation. That I was being cast with something unique. I was being cast with something special, something strange. I was being called to participate in God's work. That I was being called to join God in his special work. That little diploma there says that I am a minister of the gospel. That I have a vocation, a special calling. And the same thing happens throughout the Old Testament. A king would be anointed. A priest would be anointed. A prophet would be anointed. And the purpose of that moment was to call them into a special kind of work, to participate in the thing that God was doing. If authority is giving, getting access to a home, vocation would be giving a job in the home, like do the dishes. You have a task, you have a thing to do. You're being called to do something, to participate in what's happening. The third dimension, though, of the Spirit of God being poured out in the Old Testament is connected to power. And power is different than authority and access. Power is ability. It is the ability to live into the vocation that God has called you to. The ability for a prophet to join God in the work that he's being called to. So oftentimes, like a prophetic book will begin Amos is like a shepherd or whatever, and you have this moment where God calls that person and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to do the thing through you that I'm calling you to do. You're not alone. You're not powerless. You have ability to do what I'm calling you to do. Power is the ability to live into the vocation that God has called his people to. And we're talking about the Spirit of God in the New Testament, and Jesus, again, says the same thing in Acts 1, verse 8. He tells his disciples, wait in the city for the Holy Spirit to come on you when you will receive power. And what do you receive power for? Oh, in order to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in Judea, and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. It is power to be witnesses, help in vocation. So when Joel says that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, these are the images that come to mind. Authority, vocation, power. They've seen it, heard the stories, had rituals and practices in their life that would have told this story. But they don't have a reference for what comes next in that statement. 
that the Spirit will be poured out on all peoples. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. There's no reference for this moment in the life of Israel. Before, it was a few select individuals were called into service, were given authority, were given Ability, but all of a sudden, Joel's taking the normal referent, the normal way of understanding how God is working, and exploding it all together. It's not just a few who have authority, or a few who have access, or a few who have calling. Now, the Spirit is disrupting everything, and everyone will have authority, power, and vocation to extend the thing that God is doing. And that leads to to just really important and practical questions, which is, when does that happen? And maybe a question that we don't think about a lot, why is that happening? Why would God do that? Why would this moment in Joel be a promise or be a hope? What is it that he's intending to accomplish? Well, the when takes a long time to unfold people of Israel hear that promise. It explodes their normal categories and reference for how the world is supposed to work. And then they wait until Acts chapter 2 and the resurrection of Jesus. When the disciples are waiting, as Jesus told them to in Acts 1, 8, and all of a sudden in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples and followers, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you know the story, all of a sudden like this moment happens in the beginning of Acts, and the disciples and others who were in that room, they experienced the Spirit being poured out as Jesus prophesied, and they run into the streets. And immediately, as I think you would expect, people accuse them of being drunk. And Peter, this is how Peter responds. He says, no, I am not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. There's not a lot of moments that are this clean in Scripture where a person says, this is the definitive fulfillment of a hope. This is the definitive fulfillment of a promise that was made four to 900 years ago. It is happening right now in your midst. The thing that Joel promised, that the Spirit of God would be poured out, that authority, power, and vocation would be disseminated and disrupting authority and norms, it is happening here. You are witnessing it now. So when did the Spirit of God pour out, as Joel said? Oh, Acts chapter 2, definitively. This is when it happened. On the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a a feast that existed before the Spirit of God was poured out. It was a feast of first fruits. When the people of Israel would see the initial part of the harvest coming in. And they would celebrate, oh, like this is a taste of what is about to happen. This is a taste of what the full harvest will bring. I think that helps us actually answer the why question. 
So when did God pour out his spirit? On the day of Pentecost. Why? Well, I think understanding what Pentecost is helps us answer the why question. God pours out his spirit on Pentecost because the people in the authority, power, and vocation of the spirit are first fruits of God's rescue mission in the world. The reason that Pentecost is a substantial moment in this story is because it celebrates the first fruits of something bigger that you're hoping to accomplish. And the same is true when the Spirit of God is poured out in, in Acts chapter 2, that it is the first fruits of a larger movement, a larger rescue mission, a larger hope that God is undertaking in the world. The people of God in the Spirit of God are the first fruits of God's rescue mission in the world. Or as Jesus says in Acts 1.8, they are witnesses to the thing that God is doing. You see, the Spirit of God is always connected to the, the mission of God or the kingdom of God. And Joel, actually, if we go back to that passage in Joel chapter 2, he says the exact same thing. He says in verse 30 and 32, this is God speaking through Joel, I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's super intense language, but it is meant to evoke to the people of Israel Exodus and the day of Passover, when God rescued the people out of Egypt and brought them into a new land where they would begin to experience renewal. And Exodus always then becomes like the primary metaphor in the Old Testament for God's rescue mission. That he's going to do something like Exodus in the world. He's going to rescue the world. He's going to overthrow evil. He's going to bring his people into a land of renewal. And so Joel is using that language in Joel chapter 2 to say God is doing a rescue mission. And the Spirit of God being poured out onto his people is the first fruits of that rescue mission. It's the first fruits of the thing that he is doing in the world, where history ends, what Revelations 21 narrates. That the Spirit being poured out is the first fruits of God's rescue mission. God is doing something in the world. He's bringing his kingdom, and it begins by forming a people of authority, power, and vocation who are invited to participate. who are invited to participate and extend the thing that God is doing. One writer, I think, describes the mission of the church this way in a really helpful way, saying, the mission of the church is more and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. It is alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. It is alerting the world that God is accomplishing his purposes, that his mission is ongoing and it ends with his kingdom and total renewal. And we have been called to participate as a people of power, authority, and vocation. The Apostle Peter says the same thing. Like he makes this declaration that Joel 2 is being fulfilled. And then as he kind of unfolds that and begins to work on it, he writes a letter to a church. It's kind of a more articulated version of this. And he says this to them in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, you, church, are a royal, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possessions. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
Church, you are a people that have been formed, empowered by the Spirit, given authority and vocation, made into a people. Why? To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, to alert the world that the kingdom is coming. Renewal is upon us. The world ends with Jesus on the throne. That's what it means to be the people of God. To experience renewal ourselves and then to be a people who, because of the renewal that we are experiencing, we extend it into the rest of the world. To point to the one who called us out of darkness. Missy, what do you think our lives would be like if we actually believed that? What would our church look like, or our communities look like, or our house churches look like, or our neighborhoods look like if we honestly believed that Joel was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2? That it was the definitive fulfillment that we are now a people of authority and vocation and power. What would that look like? I think that Missio, honestly, you know, maybe celebrating myself, I think that Missio has done a good job talking about vocation. Like that we are called to participate in the thing that God is doing. I think we talk about that a lot. I think we name that a lot. We have ministries and house churches. And I think that's a constant theme of Missio, that we are invited to participate in the thing that God is doing. I think that is a thing we talk about. But I don't know that we have done a good job also emphasizing that we are a people of authority and power who have a vocation that we are a people of authority and power who have a vocation, that when God invites us to participate, he gives us the ability to participate, that when God invites us to participate, he gives us like a seal and authority to participate. I think we miss that we have the authority, that we have been entrusted as divine representatives, as ambassadors, image bearers, to extend God's renewal to all peoples into all places. And I think we miss that we are a people of power. That you actually, in God and in community, have the ability to join the work that God is doing and extend renewal to all places. That you actually have the ability to forgive and pronounce forgiveness. You know that Jesus says that? That who you forgive, they are forgiven? That's crazy. He says that we have the keys of the kingdom to discern and bind and loose. He's like, you actually have that authority. You actually have that power. It's like, I think about this. If the the illustration that we're using is a house, that you have the keys to the house, you have a vocation in the house. God's like, hey, do the dishes with me. And and we like have a dish in our hand and we're like, what do we do? Have you ever been like a guest in someone's home and you like try to help them clean? You're like, I'm just going to stack all the dishes on this table. (laughs) I'll let you manage it. I feel like that's how we approach the story of the Bible. Like we, we are invited to participate in something. We're given a mission and God's like, you have authority to do this and power to do this. Put the dish wherever you want. It's your home. You have the authority and the power to join the work that God is doing. You have the power and the authority and the vocation to extend renewal I think if we believed that, I think that we would 
this is maybe an easy place to go, I think that we would be a more courageous people who believed that when we shared our faith or when we forgave or when we prayed or when we broke bread, that something unique was happening in those moments. That through the church, God was making his presence real in those moments. That the kingdom was like breaking in in those moments. I think it would reframe how we approach our jobs and our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, All of a sudden, they would become spaces where God's kingdom is trying to break in, where renewal is intended to be extended. Here at this table, in our house churches, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, there would be moments where God's like, I'm trying to extend the kingdom. You just have to trust that you have the power and authority to join what I'm doing. You see, this is so desperately what the church needs to believe that we have the power and authority to join the work that God is doing. I think it's easy to say that that's what the world needs, the people of Jesus to love Jesus and extend his love and kingdom into the world. But I think more than anything, it's, it's, what we should say is it's the, what the church needs, is to believe that God has actually given us a vocation and we have the authority and power to live into it. That when we gather into this space, it's not just to listen to me, it's not just to like, hear great music, it's to actually participate in renewal. That when we gather at a house church, it's not just to have a Bible study that's valuable, it is to experience and participate in renewal. So that's what it means to be the people of Jesus. So what do we, what do, we do with Joel 2 and Acts 2 and 1 Peter 2, 9? I just want to ask you some of these questions and then suggest one simple risk. And then we'll gather on the table and we'll try to practice it. So first, Missio, I just want to ask you the question I just asked, which is what would happen if you you believed that you and your community had power, authority, and vocation to extend renewal? What would you do if you believe that? What would happen in our church, in our house churches, in our homes, if we really believed that God had called us to extend renewal and that it had given us authority and power to do so? Second, why don't we believe that? I think there's really fair reasons to not believe that. Maybe you come from a, a culture that, that talked about this in a weird way, and then now you're trying to like process through your doubts and your hurts and your wounds. That's a fair reason that to be named and to bring to the table and to bring the house church. But why don't we believe that God has empowered us that way, that God has given us authority in that way, that God has called us to extend his vocation? Maybe part of the issue is that we have a weird idea of what power is. And when it doesn't happen the way we imagine it's supposed to, or it doesn't get played out the way we imagine it's supposed to, that we just bail on the whole idea. And maybe what needs to happen is that our imagination for power should be reshaped by how Jesus lives, who always gives it up sacrificially to move towards people. Why don't we believe that? And then third, what is one way you can risk and trust this week? As you're trying to name the things that that you don't believe, 
You're trying to like really have your imagination framed by Jesus' calling and authority and power. What is a way that you can practically risk and trust there? I, I have a really easy risk. You can use this one if you want, or you can reject it and do your own. But here's my suggestion. In Peter's, Peter's letter to the church in 1 Peter, he says, Declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what if that was the risk this week? That we would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I think the first and most easy way that we can do this is this week at House Church, make it a space where each of us is declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So maybe before you get to house church, spend like 15, 20 minutes prepping. What does it mean for me to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be creative. It doesn't have to like be theologically robust. Just what does it mean that God called you out of darkness? Where have you experienced Jesus the most? Where does that feel the most true in your life? But just like one sentence even would be enough in this moment. And then bring it to house church. And then at house church, one of every person in the room just shared the praises of him who called you out of darkness. It's a good practice. One, because what's going to do, this is, there's something really powerful about telling people who already love Jesus about why we love Jesus. It's a weird thing. We don't do that very often. Maybe you just go get coffee with somebody and be like, hey, I love Jesus, and here's all the reasons, and watch their like, face light up. Be like, oh yeah, it's cool to love Jesus. And just tell the people in your house church, here are the reasons that I want to declare his praises. And what it will do, it'll both help you understand how to do that so that when you step into a third space, like with your kids or your coworkers or your classmates, you have the skills to begin to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. But it will also help you experience renewal. To hear the stories of other people's renewal helps you experience renewal. That's the thing that prophets are doing, reminding people who God is and what it looks like to be his people. So be prophets to one another. Live into the vocation that God has called you. Why? You have the ability and the authority to do so, Missio. So this week, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And watch what happens. If nothing else, watch what happens in your own heart as you practice your own story of renewal and hear the stories of renewal in others. That's the risk. Missy, would you bring that to this space? The table is maybe the best practice for us to, to, to put into practice that we have authority and ability and power. Because the table is where we practice that God has given us access to him. That you have authority to God, that you have access to his home, that he's calling you to his space, to his table, to again and again experience renewal. Like this is the moment where you can receive forgiveness, receive grace, and even extend it to other people in your life. So, Missy, would you take these questions, would you bring them to the table, and then this week, would you risk in the vocation 
of image bearers. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that Like, that, that, that this is true. It's not true always in the way that we, you know, we bring so much to this text and so much to what it means to be a witness and so much to what it means to be the church. So, God, help us to discern through the baggage we bring, the wounds that we bring, to hear what it is that you're saying, that you have given us authority, power, and vocation to extend the work that you're doing. We have our imagination reframed and reformed in light of what it is that you're calling us into. Would that happen as we come to the table? Would that happen as we go to house church? Would that happen as we sing today and as we pray that our imagination would be reformed in light of you, in light of the authority, power, and vocation that you're giving to us? God, and out of this, this abundant imagination that you give us, would we then risk this week? Would we risk in you? Knowing that you're with us. Knowing that you've given us ability. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's see, when you're ready, we invite you to the table. Uh, the cup is non-alcoholic. The bread is uh, allergy-friendly. We want to continue worshiping with you. So bring these questions to the table. There's someone over here who wants to pray with you. And either way, continue to sing with us.